take us there. And even though these, some of these closing chapters, they seem a little foreign and strange to us, Lord, and we pray in the name of Jesus that you will just open them up to us, Lord. We know that every, every word in the Bible is for us, and you put there for us. We believe that, and I just pray this evening that, Lord, such a privilege to be able to begin and end the day in your word. And I just pray that we be a blessing to you, Lord, as we receive from you this evening. Amen. So, again, in the first chapter of Jeremiah, in verse 5, when he is getting his charge from the Lord, I've repeated this many times throughout this book. It says in verse uh, 5, The Lord to Jeremiah, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. A prophet to the nations. And so in these closing chapters, he's literally speaking to the nations around Israel. Most of the prophecy in this book was, is directed towards Israel, but in these closing chapters, it's the nations. And we, in last week or a couple of weeks ago, we, in the previous chapters, it was uh, Moab that he was prophesying against uh, the Philistines as well. And at the beginning of this chapter, it is the Ammonites. Let's just look where the Ammonites are. Oh, I'm sorry. Could, could, I, could we get the projection screen down? Just want to look where the Ammonites um, are. But let's begin. In verse 1, it says, chapter 49, it says, Against the Ammonites, thus says the Lord... Has Israel no sons? Has he no heir? Why then does Milcom, and that's another word for Molech, which was one of their gods. Molech was, we've talked about Molech a lot. He's the, the, just the false god where uh, the, the worshipers of Molech would offer their children as uh, sacrifices, and there would be child sacrifices. Why then does Milcom inherit Gad and his people dwell in its cities? And so uh, here the Ammonites are up here, right here, and the reason it's called, the reason there's a reference to Gad there, if you remember before the Israelites crossed the Jordan after 40 years in the wilderness, after being rescued from Egypt right before uh, they crossed over the Jordan, the people of Gad, the people of Reuben and a half-tribe of Manasseh said, you know, we really like this land here. And Moses pitched a fit, if you remember, when he found that out. He's very angry. And then they said, well, listen, we'll look cool out, Moses. We will go into the, cross the Jordan with you, defeat the enemies, and then we'll come back. And that was this area over here, uh, the, the land of the Ammonites, which was also the, where the tribe of Gad stayed. Gad was one of Jacob's 12 sons. And there's just a reference here. Has Israel no sons? Has he no heir? Why then does Milcom inherit Gad? Meaning that the, the gods, th th that the people of Gad had been pretty much destroyed by the Ammonites and that it happened. In verse 2 it says, Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will cause to be heard an alarm of war. In Rabbah of the Ammonites, it shall be, des uh, be a desolate mound, and her villages shall be burned with fire. Now, that word villages, 
there, in the King James it says daughters, that's the actual translation. You know, it is good to do word studies and use your online concordance. I can't imagine anyone's using their paper concordance anymore. Maybe some of you are, but it's just so easy to just get online. Oh, there we go. See? All right. Uh, you can ha but uh, if you go and look at a concordance, the word there is daughters. And, and uh, you know, I... I caring a lot about translations and stuff like that. I just, ugh. You know, I look at that and and, and sometimes translators, I, 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 I just think that they're just uncomfortable with the translation. And because there is a reason why it says her daughter shall be burned with fire because they themselves, that this is, this is their, what they did to sacrifice to gods, and it's it's just a it seems vicious kind of judgment. But in their judgment, it's going to be the same thing that their older daughters or the women, actually, uh, the younger women. The, the word exactly the, the exact word is young women. Uh, when there's a judgment there, it says then Israel shall take possession of his inheritance. Now, throughout these chapters in Jeremiah, the, you don't know oftentimes or it's hard to discern whether the prophecy is going to, going to be a near-term thing or if this is going to happen at the second return of Christ or in the time of the tribulation or, uh, because there are references here that that indicate that maybe it's at a much later time. This is that Israel shall take possession of his inheritance. And that's an indication. We haven't really seen that yet. Uh, a sort of a re-inheritance. So Israel had possession of that land, but uh, we haven't actually seen this yet. And so it's thought that maybe at the time of the second return of Christ, where Israel is going to be established as a kingdom and the, the nation that we know today of Israel is going to be expanded significantly, kind of like we saw in the, talked about last time, a couple weeks ago, the 1967 war, where the size of the land of Israel tripled. Well, it's going to, uh, ha it's, it's going to happen again. Verse 3 says, Wail, O Heshbon, for Ai is plundered. Cry, you daughters of Rabbah. Gird yourselves with sackcloth. Lament and run to and fro from the walls for Milcom, again, this is Molech, shall go into captivity. And so they'll be, uh, they will be, because of a destruction here. They'll be carrying their God. And there was a near-term fulfillment of this that Nebuchadnezzar, who also destroyed Jerusalem, also came, did come into this area. And so here, they, their gods, they're carrying their gods into captivity with his priests and his princes together. Why do you boast in the valleys? You, your flowing valley, O backsliding daughter who trusted in her treasure, saying, who will come against me? Behold, I will bring fear upon you, says the Lord God of hosts. From all those who are around you, you shall be driven out everyone headlong, and no one will gather those who wander off. But afterward, afterward, I will bring back the captives of the people of Ammon, says the Lord. So last time we discussed who Ammon was, the Ammonites. Who are they? You guys remember from last time? They are descendants of who? From Lot. Remember, Lot is, was brought out of uh, Lot was brought out of Sodom, and he, he brought his two daughters along. But the daughters' husbands laughed at them saying, they, they were warning their family, saying, look, you guys, this, this city's going to be wiped out. And, and But so the, the daughter's husband stayed behind, and they, uh, they escaped, and the, there were incestuous relationships with the daughters of Lot, and Lot, they, he was drunk, and they went in, and one of the uh, sons was the descendant of 
the, the Moabites, and then the others are the descendants of Ammon. And here, that's who they are. So they are related to the Jews. They are uh, all descendants of Abraham's father. Uh, or, yeah, Abraham's either father or grandfather. So they're, they're in a sense, co distant cousins. And you will see throughout Jeremiah, as we talked about last time, it, it makes reference to the latter days. It says, afterward, I will bring, verse 6, I will bring back the captives of the people of Ammon, says the Lord. And, and so some Bible scholars feel like this is a reference to the latter days, that the descendants will be brought back. Verse 7, against Edom, thus says the Lord of hosts. And so Edom, right down here, um, Edom and Edom, they are the de descendants of Esau, who is Jacob's brother. So they're sort of closer in their relation with the Israelites. It says, is wisdom no more in Teman? Has counsel perished from the prudent? Has their wisdom vanished? So Teman, that area, there's an area of Teman which is within Edom. Now, I'll give you a hundred stars if you can tell me who a, an, a Temanite was, someone from Teman. I mean, I will be so impressed. Anyone know? I see two people consulting in the back. <laughs> I will be extremely impressed. Josh, you don't know. Joe. What's that? Oh, 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 close. Friend, friend, it, it help out. Everyone, help out Josh. Friend, 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 he's saying, friend, which one? <laughs> Eliphaz. That's, who said that? Oh, Steve, I, 100 stars. Well, he kind of, maybe I divide them between you two. But Eliphaz, he was the first guy who, who talked to, to Job. He was from this same area of Teman. Eliphaz the Temanite. But anyway, is wisdom no more in Teman, meaning they're going to be wiped out no more. The, the, the area was known for their wisdom and their counsel, and that's why Eliphaz is, well, ooh, Eliphaz the Temanite. He must have a good counsel for Job. Well, actually, he didn't. We knew, know that. But uh, verse 8 says, Flee, turn back, dwell in the, uh, in the depths, O inhabitants of Dedan. For I will bring the calamity of Esau the time that I will punish him. Now, I know you guys know this. Who was a famous Edomite? Famous Edomite that all of you guys know. Come on. I know you know. Who? Herod. Very good. Herod. The Herod, actually, all of them. The Herod who... Dis, uh, killed all the kids at Bethlehem, the Herod who beheaded John the Baptist. They were Edomites who converted to Judaism. They were ethnic Edomites who converted to uh, Judaism. But they were, so if you do a study throughout the Bible of the behavior of the Edomites, they rejoiced when the Jews were defeated in battle. They would rejoice. And, you know, we see a teaching throughout the Bible. We're not supposed to be rejoicing about anybody's defeat, including an enemy. We're not supposed to be, no one, there's something, but there's, you know, something particularly, you're in big time trouble if you rejoice when the children of God are defeated. But you do see that that kind of behavior by the Edomites. And, and this is part of the reason calamity, there's judgment because of it. Edom. It's where Petra is, I believe. There's actually a rock in this area. A rock the size of Manhattan. Is that amazing or what? gigantic rock. And, the, and so the Edomites often were extremely difficult to defeat in battle because they lived in these rock cliffs. You guys have probably heard of Petra. 
And he just was really difficult coming against the Edomites. In verse 9, if grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave some gleaning grapes? If thieves by night, would they not destroy until they have had enough? But I have made Esau bare. I have uncovered his secret places. His secret places. You know, the Lord knows if there are secret places in your life. You got some just secret places where no one else knows about. Remember when I was saved, I I, I had a, a serious issue with pornography right a year into my marriage, a year into my salvation. There were secret places that only I knew about. But God knows about these places. And he uncovers them. Praise the Lord that he does that. But what we don't want to do is play the fool and wait until there's a really, really harsh judgment. Try to pretend, oh, God doesn't really know about this secret place that I have. And he shall not be able to hide himself. His descendants are plundered, his brethren and his neighbors, and he is no more. Leave your fatherless children. I will preserve them alive. So that's a very interesting verse. Leave your fatherless children. I will preserve them alive and let your widows trust in me. So you see throughout the Old Testament, there is a special provision for widows and orphans. In the Old Testament, the Lord says clearly throughout you come against orphans, if you come against widows, you're coming against me. And so here, though, there's utter destruction in Edom. The Lord is going to preserve widows and orphans of the Edomite people. Just a little glimpse there into the heart of God. Verse 12, for thus says the, the Lord, behold, those whose, whose judgment was not to drink of the cup have assuredly drunk. And are you the one who will altogether go unpunished? You shall not go unpunished, but you shall surely drink of it. For I have sworn by myself, says the Lord, that Basra shall become a desolation, a reproach, a waste, a curse, and all its cities shall be a perpetual waste. I have heard a message from the Lord, and an ambassador has been sent to the nation. Gather together, come against her, and rise up in battle. For indeed I will make you small among nations, despised, among men. Your fierceness has deceived you, the pride of your heart. Pride does that. Pride deceives us. Our pride will just deceive us into thinking that we are someone who we are not. Your pride, your fierceness deceive you. Oftentimes fierceness, that rough outer man is a manifestation of pride and will deceive ourselves by our own anger, our own fierceness. Oh, you who dwell in the clefts of the rock, this rock as large as Manhattan, who hold the height of the hill, though you make your nest as high as the, as the eagle, I will bring you down from there, says the Lord. Edom also shall be an astonishment. Everyone who goes by it will be astonished and will hiss at all its plagues, as in the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah, and their neighbors, says the Lord, no one shall remain there, nor shall a son of man dwell there. Behold, he shall come up like a lion from the floodplain of the Jordan against the dwelling place of the strong. So verse 19, the he there is Nebuchadnezzar, same general who, a rather king who, conquer Jerusalem was going to come up against them and it is I believe that it came subsequent to the time that Jerusalem was destroyed and so the Edomites rejoicing and the destruction of Jerusalem but the one who they were rejoicing about, Nebuchadnezzar actually turned against them. I will suddenly make him run away from her. And who is chosen man that I may appoint over her? For who is like me? Who will arraign me? And who is that shepherd who will withstand me? Verse 20. 
Hear the counsel of the Lord that he has taken against Edom and his purposes that he has proposed against the inhabitants of Teman. Surely the least of the flock shall draw them out. Surely he shall make their dwelling place desolate. Let's skip down to verse 23. Damascus. So now this is a, verse 23, this is a judgment against Damascus. So Damascus, Damascus, where are you? Damascus is up here. This is Damascus, right there, which is the main city in Syria, right north of Israel. It says of Damascus, Hamath and Arpad are shamed, for they have heard bad news. They are faint-hearted. There is trouble on the sea. It cannot be quiet. Damascus has grown feeble. She turns to flee, and fear has seized her. Anguish and sorrow have taken her like a woman in labor. Why is the city of praise not deserted, the city of my joy? And so people will read that, verse 25, and commentators say different things. You know, why is this called the city of praise? It's Damascus. It's, it's, a, it's a pagan city. It, some believe Damascus is the oldest city in the world, the oldest city in the world. Now, if you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 4, you don't have to go there, but when it, after Cain was judged and he went off to be by himself, basically, at the end of Genesis chapter 4, verse 25, it says, Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and named him Seth, for God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. And as for Seth, to whom, to him also a son was born, and he named him Enosh. Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. And, and could it be that that was the area of Damascus? Again, some believe it's the oldest city in the world. And, uh, and, and perhaps that's the reason why it's called the city of praise. That's where men began to call on the, upon the uh, name of the Lord. Verse 26, Therefore her young men shall fall in her streets, and all the men of war shall be cut off in those days. Verse 27, I will kindle a fire in the wall of Damascus and it shall consume the palaces of Ben-Hadad. And so in Isaiah chapter 17, it actually says of Damascus that it will cease from being a city. But we know Damascus is a city today. It's been in the news. Syria's been in the news a lot. There, the uh, regime there is a there's basically a civil war there, so they're all over the news. And you will read there are certain things we're going to read about at least I think another city tonight. That well, wait a second, the city's still there. So Syria, an enemy of Israel, could it be at the second return of Christ that Damascus, the oldest city of the world, is 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 wiped out? And so it's 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 actually quite a study to line up some of these prophecies in Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel that really discuss the same cities. So the parallel prophecy in Isaiah said this city, Damascus, although it's the oldest in the world, it's going to be it's going to be it cease it's going to cease to exist verse 28 against kedar and against the kingdoms of hazar and so those kingdoms would be they believe this and now remember look at italy here this is not how we usually see italy italy is <laughs> the boot we usually see this facing down this part facing down so Arabia, this is really the um, Saudi Arabia. So this is, that's believed to be where the uh, Kedar is. And there is just a similar judgment 
against that area of the world. Verse 31 says, Arise, go up to the wealthy nation that dwells securely, which has neither gates nor bar bars dwelling alone. They were safe in the desert. Like you, you don't need any gates or bars when someone has to go through the desert to get to you. Their camels shall be for booty, and the multitude of their cattle for plunder I will scatter to all the all winds, those in the far farthest corners, and I will bring their calamity from all sides. Verse 34, now the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet against Elam, the Elamites right there. And th th there's the Persian Gulf. So this is modern day Iran. And I mentioned this uh, last time, Genesis chapter 10. The Elamites are also descendants of Shem, one of Noah's sons. So all the rough talk between that president of Iran and Israel, but they're distant, distant cousins. It says, verse 35, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will break the bow of Elam, the foremost of their might. Against Elam I will bring the four winds from the four quarters of heaven and scatter them towards all those winds. There will be no nations where the outcasts of Elam will not go. So Persians or Iranians were scattered throughout the world for I will cause Elam to be dismayed before their enemies. And it's in actually 596 B.C., secular historians, you can read it there, where Nebuchadnezzar went through that area of the world. It's really interesting that in Acts chapter 2 of all places when there is speaking in tongues and there are Jews from all over the world in Jerusalem celebrating the, the Passover and the Holy Spirit falls upon the 120 uh, disciples of Jesus. Jesus had already ascended into heaven and it says in verse 7 of chapter 2, they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born Parthenians, Medes, and Elamites? And so it's great doing these word studies where these people appear in, in, in various parts of the Bible. So these Elamites here had actually come all the way down to, all the way over to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover at the time of Jesus' uh, the death. Actually, that would have been the Pentecost. It was 50 days, because the Pentecost happened 50 days after uh, Jesus uh, was resurrected. So anyway, they were there for that feast. And uh, so Acts chapter 2. And there are churches in uh, Elam today. It says in verse 39, interestingly there, it says, I will bring back the captives of Elam. So do those kind of, well, actually backing up a little in verse 39, it says, but it shall come to pass in the latter days. I will bring back the captives of Elam. So when you see those verses, some commentators think it's a reference to the millennial reign when they're reestablished. Others think that just talking about the body of Christ in that area where, remember, 3,000 of those people in Acts chapter 2 were born again and they went back to where they were and where they lived in modern-day Iran, and even today there are churches in Iran. Is it a reference to that? We're, we're not sure. Chapter 50 and chapter 51, these, the, the, this is a very long judgment and pronouncement against Babylon. The word that the Lord spoke against Babylon and against the land of the Chaldeans by Jeremiah the prophet. And so Babylon throughout Scripture, same kind of thing. You do word studies of this, and Babylon actually has a unique 
I, I, I guess the word I would use is, is uniquely mentioned or addressed throughout Scripture. In Isaiah 13 and 14, there is a pronouncement against Babylon. In Zechariah chapter 5, in Revelation chapter 17 and 18, you see a reference to the destruction of Babylon. And so, really, throughout the... Some, one commentator has said that the Bible is about the tale of two cities. One is the city of God, which is Jerusalem, and the other is the city of rebellion, which is Babylon. And everyone's in one of those two camps. They're either in... The, the, a citizen of the city of God or they're a citizen of the, the city of rebellion. But in, in Revelation uh, chapter 17 and 18, it's pretty powerful stuff um, over there where there's the, the, these, these references to uh, the Babylon and the end times and how that Babylon is going to be Judged. I'm just reading now from Revelation 18. After these things, this is John, the revelator, actually John, the apostle of Jesus Christ speaking, about what's going to happen during the tribulation right before Jesus' return. He says, I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory, and he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen is fallen and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Eek! Specifically, what Babylon represents in the Bible is that when it says all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, it's a reference to sort of the idolatry of mammon, of uh, the idolatry of basically sacrificing everything to, the, to, 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 to whatever is expedient for economic growth. Is what really worries me in political season is 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 that it's it's amazing how people will start letting go of their opinions about social issues or issues of integrity as long as the economy gets better. And the Bible does say that the Antichrist is going to raise be raised up because of promises to restore the economy or the world economy. It's just going to get so incredibly bad, much worse than what we're seeing today, that people will say, look, we'll give up any pretense of morality. Just give us a better economy. <laughs> give us that prosperity that we knew so well at one point. Give us that, give us that back. And, you know, there is something very dangerous. Western Europe and, and America were built on a, on a foundation of righteousness. And just like the Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and he'll add all this to you. So once you've tasted economic prosperity and you lose it, the Bible says the natural man will do anything and vote in any way to get it back. And so... Uh, you know, I, I, it's, it's, it's uh, Babylon throughout the Bible because Babylon, the actual city of Babylon, was so incredibly glorious from a human perspective. The walls of the city of Babylon were 200 feet high. Six chariots side by side could ride around the, the, the outskirts uh, or ride on top of this wall. There was enough farmland and pasture within these walls that they could have prosperity and people could be attacking them from the outside. It was just known as just over-the-top economic prosperity. 
And it's scary, you know, when you read in Revelation, for all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants, merchants, underline that word merchants, of the earth have become rich to the abundance of her luxury. And so Babylon has this role throughout Scripture of a prominent role as a stark contrast uh, to the city of God or Jerusalem or, 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 or righteousness. Sixty-mile radius was the, the city of, of Babylon. And so there's this judgment. I'm not going to read every verse here in chapter 50, but... Uh, there's this judgment. It says, declare among the nations, verse 2, proclaim and set up a standard. Proclaim, do not conceal it. Say, Babylon is taken. Bel is shamed. Merodach is broken to pieces. Merodach was a Babylonian god. Now, remember, when there was judgment against the nation, there was always judgment against their gods. We talked about that last time with Egypt. The ten plagues were also plagues against the gods of Egypt. Uh, and so it says in verse 4, in those days and in that time, says Lord, the children of Israel shall come, they and the children of Judah together. And so this is one of those verses where uh, certain Bible commentators are saying now here, Jeremiah is talking about the future, that at the time of this great judgment against Babylon is when Israel regathers because Babylon... When Israel regathered uh, really to, in the time of Nehemiah and Ezra, which is about 70 or 80 years after this, there had been no judgment against the city of Babylon yet. And so that's why they believe that this is talking about the days actually soon near to the ones we're living in right now, where there's a, verse 4 talked about a regathering of the children of Israel in those days and in that time. So talking about the distant, distant future. Verse 6, my people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray. They have turned them away on the mountains. They have gone from mountain to hill. They have forgotten their resting place. God is their resting place. Verse 7, all who found them have devoured them. So that when the Israelites were exiled, they were just sort of devoured in all the places uh, that they went to. It says their adversary said, we have not offended because they have sinned against the Lord. So, so people who destroyed Israel said, well, we haven't, we haven't done anything wrong because these people have sinned against their own God. So that sort of is the uh, response about some of the nations that have, uh, that, that, were destroying Israel. And, and the Bible does say Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, he was the, he, he was the servant of the Lord doing the, the chastisement against his own people. And in that way, he was a servant. Verse 9 says, For behold, I will raise and cause to come up against Babylon an assembly of great nations from the north country, and they shall array themselves against her. From there she, uh, she shall be captured. Their arrows shall be like those of an expert warrior. And so Israel's missile system. Anyone anyone know what Israel's missile system is called today? Anyone? It's called arrow. <laughs> and so uh, you read this verse, you go, hmm, yeah. When it's talking about the arrow shall be an expert warrior, and so they've, they've, the, Israel does have, uh, after the perhaps after the United States, one of the most sophisticated missile systems that, you know, they can go down silos and crazy things like that. Uh, and so in verse 13, it says, because of the wrath of the Lord, she shall not be inhabited, but she shall be wholly desolate. Now, there are a couple interpretations of this. Some I have read believe that uh, that Babylon eventually was destroyed. I read one comment, but actually there's a book uh, that uh, traces the location of 
of Babylon, and even to this, you know, even to this day, there's just there's just it's desert. It's been completely flattened. Others say that this is not going to happen until some kind of nuclear desolation uh, in the in 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 the end times, the latter times, and all this talk about Israel attacking. Uh, their enemies with because of nuclear weapons it it's it's really uh, quite amazing when you when you read scripture verse 18 says therefore thus says the Lord the Lord God of hosts the God of Israel behold I will punish the king of Babylon and his land as I have punished the king of Assyria but I will bring back Israel to his home and he shall Feed on Carmel and Bashan, his soul shall be satisfied in Mount Ephraim. In those days and in that time, says the Lord, the iniquity of Israel shall be sought, but there shall be none. Now that's quite a statement where the Lord is saying, the iniquity of Israel shall be sought, but there shall be none. Again, probably a reference to the millennial reign. Although there is something about God's pardon of his people. The Bible does say in Ephesians chapter 1 and in Colossians as well that when God looks at a born-again Christian, he does not see iniquity. Stephanie and I are going through the book of Numbers and one of my favorite uh, stories in the whole Bible where Balak, a sorcerer, is hired, rather Balaam, a sorcerer, is hired by Balak to curse Israel. And Balak is the, he, he is, is the king of, of Moab, and he is terrified because Israel is defeating all their enemies under Moses, and they're approaching his land, and he actually hires a sorcerer just like people go out today in Haiti and Brazil and Argentina and Boston as well. They do Santeria or whatever, and they hire someone to do a curse, and that's what Balak uh, hired Balaam to do. And so he paid him a bunch of money. Balaam went against him a bunch of money, and Balaam looked at Israel, and one of the things he said in Numbers 23, 21, he, he, he says, God has not, or the Lord Jehovah has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. Now, anyone who's ever read the book of Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy know there was a lot of wickedness in Israel. But in the same sense that today we are blameless in Christ, in spite of the fact that every day we sin, there's a pardon by the Lord over us. And, and you see a foreshadowing that, of that just with the nation of Israel. He, he, he looks at them there, uh, approaching the Canaan, the promised land, and man, did they have a history of iniquity and wickedness. But he says he sees and he does not observe iniquity. And that's how he sees you in Christ. We read about that this morning, the, uh, uh, the woman with the flow of bl blood, I just felt that Pastor Leo just did a fantastic job with it. Twelve years, unclean, everywhere she went, no one was going to want to be around her. Everything she touched was unclean. But yet, the Lord made her clean. He makes clean what is unclean. And so, uh, back in Jeremiah. It says, in those days and in that time, probably is a reference to the millennial reign, the iniquity of Israel shall be sought, but there shall be none. Verse 25 says, the Lord has opened his armory and has brought out the weapons of his indignation. And that's just something that I reflected on for a while. The Lord has an armory, meaning a place where he's got you know, weapons, for lack of a better term. That's the term that we use. But he's got so much at his disposal in order to 
have his way, have his way in our lives. And, and sometimes we just have no idea. You know, there's someone who we care a lot about who lives in, you know, in another place and we're thinking, how are they ever going to come to the Lord? Well, he's got so much at, at his disposal. He's, he really does. And, and how many, how many uh, testimonies I've heard of just the Lord just, he's just, he knows how to come through for us and in a way that we cannot ever even imagine. It says in verse 28, the, vo- the voice of those who flee had and escaped from the land of Babylon declares in Zion the vengeance of the Lord our God, the vengeance of his temple. So the Babylonians had destroyed the temple, and that's a reference to the, the Lord is going to avenge that. Verse 31, behold, I am against you, O most haughty one. And so the you there... Y-O-U is the masculine singular. And so Bible scholars look at that. Well, who's that talking about? It's probably not talking about uh, Nebuchadnezzar. If you look at secular history, what happened to to him, uh, it says, For your day has come, the time that I will punish you. Some believe it is a reference to the Antichrist because it's in the masculine singular there. That's one of the things about that we sometimes miss in the English. So the King James, I think, has a word. It uses ye or thee, right? When it's plural, it, plural, it uses one. And when it's singular, it uses another. But in more modern translations, you really don't know. But interesting here. Behold, I am against you. Talking about a person. Verse 33. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the children of Israel were oppressed along with the children of Judah, all who took them captive have held them fast. They have refused to let them go. But their Redeemer is strong. The Lord of hosts is his name. He will thoroughly plead their case that he may give rest to the land and disquiet the inhabitants of Babylon. And so... I love that word picture there. It says, all who took captive, verse 33, the children of Israel held them fast and refused to let them go. But it says in verse 34, their Redeemer is strong. And, you know, anything holding you in bondage, anything it says that that's, that's whatever it may be in your life that it just seems to be holding you fast, just don't let the strength of a bondage be some kind of excuse. Verse 34 says, your Redeemer is strong, the Lord of hosts. That means the host is a reference to the, the armies of the Lord, the angelic armies of the Lord. He will thoroughly plead their case. The Bible says that Jesus is ever interceding for us. And so I, 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 I love that reference. But we'll skip all the way to verse 39. It says, therefore, the wild desert beasts shall dwell there, meaning this area of Babylon, with the jackals. The ostriches shall dwell in it. It shall be inhabited no more forever, nor shall it be dwelt in from generation to generation. So you can just imagine a city with 60 miles in radius, Walls 200 feet high, so wide that six chariots can go side by side. And Jeremiah is saying, it's all going to be gone. It's all going to be desolate. And just man has a way of just convincing himself when he's in the midst of this kind of, 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 of glory that is never going to go away. It is interesting that as mighty as the nation of Babylon was, within 70 years, they would be taken over by the Medes and Persians, and they're not even going to be in charge anymore. But, but the, the, it, there's this, as many of you are familiar with the story in the book of Daniel where Nebuchadnezzar, he's, uh, he's on, 
this the walls of he, he's I, I guess he's in he's in his palace in the palace of of Babylon and he's saying he's looking over this incredible strength the mighty walls the the structures that Babylon had and he's saying all this I built and right as the, it says as the words were on his mouth God just touched him and he went completely out of his mind and he wound up going out and living in the fields like a like a donker or a wild beast. Can you imagine seeing the king? You're driving by the farmland. Hey, there's the king eating grass in the field. Well, that's what happened in Nebuchadnezzar. Now, the Lord restored uh, him from that. And uh, But it's... You know, we we do get this feeling, we get this this false sense when we're in the midst of uh, a mighty city or 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 mighty uh, structure or whatever. That wow, this is just so strong. Whenever I'm in an airplane, I was just coming back from. I just went to Miami last weekend, and to seeing. You know, New York on the way back. Actually, didn't see New York on the way back, but just seeing Boston, it's just a tiny little city, and and just there is a lot of arrogance in the city with sixty universities, and just it's just sort of the wisdom of the world and the throne of humanitarianism. It's Boston. It's that's what it is. But it's it's I always when I see a city from an airplane and it's just so small, you see all the big buildings, I always just reflect, you know, it's just so small. It's such a small thing for, for God to just bring down all this pride. Verse 45 says, Therefore hear the counsel of the Lord against that he has taken against Babylon and his purposes that he has proposed against the land of the Chaldeans. Surely the least of the flock shall draw them out. Surely he will make their dwelling place desolate with them. At the noise of the taking of Babylon, the earth trembles, and the cry is heard among the nations. So we'll stop there, but I, I just love that. Just leave the verse 34 of this chapter with you. It says, Their Redeemer is strong. Your Redeemer is so strong. He is strong. And even even a nation like this that was just so mighty and so so vast, he was he brought them down so easily. Your Redeemer is strong. Hey, let's uh, close in prayer. I would like to just pray about the coming hurricane.